Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. Biggie Smalls coming at you on Hot 95. Brooklyn represent. We the illest on this. <laughs> this is Sway. 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 Hold on one second. I am just going to tag people. Um, cool. Awesome. Um, so, yo, everybody, welcome to Bug Crowd, episode 45. Um, had kind of a rough start. I accidentally uh, <laughs> put a bunch of stuff out that was all from previous streams, and it just... Also, I realized that the background here is going really fast. This GIF, for some reason, <laughs> yeah, OBS, OBS is speeding it up, and it's going so fast. <laughs> it's like, what? It's kind of that is that's a little bit closer to an accurate representation of uh, attacks. So, yeah, they are going back and forth, going crazy. But yo, um, so everybody, um, how's everyone doing? Yeah, I think yeet. good. Good. Eat now, got some sleep. <laughs> Thanks everybody also for joining us too during the uh, State of the Union, um, which I know is also live right now. Yeah, I mean, I know that's definitely like a thing that nobody should be missing, right? So we really appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, We're still live with B-Sides Philly. It does? Oh, excellent. <laughs> uh, let me just update that right now. Um, yeah, so actually, Pico, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, B-Sides Philly, what happened? <laughs> I just um, kind of prepped that morning, figured I'd take some equipment, took way more than I needed, and uh, set up a table. Um, I didn't really get to uh, QA any of the audio process, so <laughs> in that stream, there's no audio whatsoever. <laughs> I did remix it with some uh, background joint that I uploaded. I think yeah. everybody's face stayed out of the screen, but the overall intent was... Um, I threw a switch down on a, a table. I had my laptop, and then I had a Raspberry Pi. Mm -hmm. I was shitting around with it forever, and then I realized when I moved the Pi uh, further in front of my laptop, I unplugged the fucking network cable. <laughs> <That> was... <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, 
I'm pontificating. I'm like, oh, I can't set up this IP address. What am I doing wrong? I'm inconfiguring and I'm going nuts. And I look at it, and then once I see that, I just plug it in front of the camera. Of course, that's I'm like, oh. So everything went to plan then. Yeah, right. It was Sounds cool. like a uh, classic, uh, classic flood crowd stream. Just tons of technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, we get it though. It was awesome though. I'm glad that you went out there and, and actually started streaming and stuff. It, it it's cool because we did we did the stream from DefCon and um, that was awesome being able to have people join. But then I was thinking about how awesome it would be if we were to have people who wanted to stream, um, who are part of our, our group, go to different have a little table set up and and do the thing that you did should be awesome to do in the future um for visibility as well as just being able to have some phony stuff to happen um as they typically do when you're just launching around at a con the uh the defcon stream though was like so well timed with the hotel internet just dying at the same time. <laughs> of oh, course God wants to stream like fuck the de like fuck the hotel internet like <laughs> Yeah, that one I ended up streaming off of my phone with a Bluetooth mic. It was really good. That was awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so everybody, um, we have an awesome guest tonight, um, which, has he joined our chat yet? Um, yeah. He's awesome. He's, uh, we're going to talk about DDoS mitigation and all sorts of other uh, war stories from the internet with uh, PowerCycle here. Um, which I'm really excited about because there's there's a lot of stuff that that goes on with with um, you know there's a lot, there's a lot I guess of of sort of blanket ideas about how to deal with things like DDoS attacks, but they're a lot more textured than they have been. It's not as simple as just pinging a bunch. There's a lot of interesting vectors that people use, and so it'd definitely be interesting to hear a bit the other side of it um, where you actually have to do something about it at your company. So. I'm very excited to talk to him. Uh, also, this is the show notes too. We heard that there are some <laughs> there are some antivirus and some browser um, plugins that lock you from doing. We're a little staticky right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I heard that there's some uh, some browser uh, plugins that block uh, viewing this. So if you do get that, if you get any uh, any like warnings um, from viewing this page, uh, please screenshot it and tweet at us because I'm interested to see because this is this is a, a Perl script that's from like a paste bin somewhere that just has been reworked into show notes and it's not on its own going to be executed on your on your system. Um, so interesting to see that a page itself, a static page, is uh, being marked as like a mouth. Well, yeah. Um, so you guys want to get into the news? Uh, I want to share something cool I did this weekend. The question we always oh yeah oh yeah well what did you do this weekend DNC? Uh, actually went and saw the Prodigy after you know twenty some something years. So they toured and they their tracks that were on the Hackers soundtrack and uh, it was a it was a great show. But I think the the most cyber lappers. Like I saw some cyber haircuts that I've never seen before. <laughs> so a neon, like a neon shaved top knot, like a samurai top knot, but also glow in the dark. Like it was some fucking next level cyber. Uh, if anyone plans on going to DefCon, you should maybe look at a prodigy crowd and go like, yeah, that's the kind of cyber I want to look like. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we definitely got to up our game for the cyber, uh, cyber goth, cyber culture, uh, I guess, aesthetic uh, when we're out in public. So, take some trips to our topic. Branded yeah. ski masks, maybe. They don't. They don't have any trip pants anymore there. So, kind of funny. Need more jinkos. Yes. <laughs> um, and also shout out to Fractal Zero for uh, subscribing with Twitch Prime. Um, thanks everybody for that. Oh yeah. Also, we've been um, sending out all the CLSSPs. Um, kind of staggered, but they are coming out though. We sent a couple batches of them. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, or you are a guest, or you are a member of our uh, beloved crew. Um, you'll be getting one at some point very soon. We're just throwing them all out there. Um, a lot of people have signed up and become patrons just to get our cert. And we have not yet got anybody who thinks that it's necessarily a bad thing. So <laughs> we're excited. Um, so thanks everybody for supporting us and our meme cert, which is not for fraud. <laughs> the other thing that I really kind of have to, to mention, there actually have been some people that have, um, have, well, the first one is they have DM'd us their personal details, which you should not do. Um, everybody who has DM'd us and given us their, their information, they set up a secure channel to give them to us, and they, they lie in ephemeral state as I, uh, I write them on the envelope and then do not save them anywhere. Like I'm taking very extreme pains to not save anybody's information. And there are still people that are trying to just DM us randomly their, their address. So, so not I propose, I propose yeah. that from now on, if people do that, we sign them up for random hilarious things. I mean, as long as we put it out there, that's what we're going to do. Maybe that's, that that might deter people. But yeah, yeah. definitely don't send people, especially just the, the hacker podcasts. Uh, just send random people your address. It's never a good thing. <laughs> can, can we just step back for a second? Like we're talking about people who are interested in information security and are worried about crowds of thugs that might have their secured information. So if you're going to send your your private information to a crowd of thugs, you might have just fucked up. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> not saying we would do anything malicious, but just the fact that I, I've been taking a lot of a lot of lengths to make sure that everybody who gives us their data is not is is you know that data is treated with the same security that I would treat my own personal data. And yeah, yeah that's uh, definitely a, a thing that you should be wary of, especially when you're just doing stuff like this online. Cause I realize there's a lot of communities and, and streams and, and create content creators that give out to do giveaways like this. And you definitely have to take good precautions for it. Either set up, setting up a PL box or whatever. And then also giving your information to them in a secure fashion. Yeah. That being said, though, uh, it is a requirement that you send a scanned copy of your passport from now on. Um, send that to you. Uh, <laughs> you uh, and he'll get you squared away. <laughs> yeah. Just, um, just to clarify, like, when we are not collect, like, you know, we're definitely not collecting data. I was making a joke, but, you know, think about where, if you're into information security, Think about the security of your information. Absolutely. The, the other aspect of it that I've found interesting is there also have been people that are DMing 
in a way that makes me think that they just want the certification so that they can use it on their resume or on LinkedIn to actually actively trick recruiters and people that are potentially going to hire them. And first and foremost, it's the joke for this purpose, but it is shoot, absolutely should be explained um, because you don't want to have somebody, some we don't want to be able to report on some data breach that happened because their CISO got hired with a fake CISSP, uh, which would be the fucking absolute worst thing possible. So please do disclose that if you do decide to put it on your LinkedIn or on your resume. Um, we'll be trying to make some sort of LinkedIn um, like badge or something, some sort of group that we can use to have people be able to track and link to it. Um, we definitely do not promote people um, fraudulently trying to uh, up their creds. We're not a, a cert mill or a diploma mill. Um, it's just a joke for people that support. I mean, those uh, the companies that might be confused between the CLSSP and the CISSP on a resume are likely the companies that need security the most. Yeah. And if you're using it to bolster your like your, your own credentials, you likely um, are not correct for that role. So maybe don't take roles that you're not, uh, you know, that <laughs> you aren't suited for. Yeah, I definitely wanted to say this out in the stream. I know we might be going going a little overboard with over explaining it, but I definitely have been seeing this, and I want people to just be safe first and foremost, and also honest, uh, because we do stuff as a joke, and sometimes people don't necessarily take everything that we say. It, they might take it literally, and we definitely don't want people to um, endanger themselves or others uh, in any way. So. Thanks. So PSA for the day. <laughs> um, anybody have any other words on this before we move on to the news? Safety yeah, first. Yeah. Don't uh, don't be silly. Don't don't use it as an actual replacement for a CISSP. It's it's a joke. Damn it! I'm gonna reiterate <laughs> it. It's a joke. Pork chop sandwiches. On Pork chops. Much funnier joke than the CISSP. Which is also a joke. <laughs> it's a much better joke. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, so um, let's get into the news. Uh, and if anybody doesn't have it yet, I'll post it again in the Twitch chat. Um, please again send us any screenshots if any uh, antivirus gets triggered by this. So um, yeah, the first piece of news we have here. Um, so this is Google's Chrome extension. There's a um, that checks if your, it's a weird way that they worded it, checks if your passwords are still secure or checks your passwords are still secure. Um, regardless, there's a, there's a service that Google is now running called Password Checkup that is going to be supposedly hashing passwords client side and sending them over to Google to see if they are in a database. Um, so I think that didn't have a been pwned and Troy Hunt already start making something like this um, oh. or have it been pwned? Yeah, yeah, he integrated with OnePass, but he also, like, this thing as well, if it's hashing your password client side, you already know, like, you can you can reverse the hashing algorithm and go, okay, it's, uh, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but let's just say that it's, you know, SHA-512 or something. You're like, all right, now let's, I've captured all this other data that has these SHA-512 hashes, and I know what to do with it. So I don't, yeah. I don't know how great this is. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. It's It sketches me out a little bit, but at the same time, it's definitely useful for people if you have a plugin that says, yo, stop using, like, Big Dog 1 or whatever the hell your password is, Hunter 2, um, as your password. Um, this is definitely... Uh, been used before and it's in a database somewhere because those things are, are definitely useful. I mean, I have a few uh, password collections that I use to do the same thing on my own at home. Um, but I mean, typically it, it's like I use, I don't know, a, that's like overkill, I guess. Like I have like a dedicated drive for, for that. Not everybody is carrying around a hard drive full of passwords from like breach breaches. So, um, yeah. yeah. Without using a password, uh, without using a password manager, people are going to use passwords, and eventually, everybody's password is going to be in this thing that has an alert saying your password's been breached at some point, and it's just going to become a desensitization thing where people are like, "Oh yeah, there's that stupid warning. Let me just ignore that." Like it's going to end up being the equivalent of. Are you sure you want to submit this form insecurely? You know what I mean? But it, yeah. It's also like uh, that, that password list that was on, on GitHub and the guys, somebody raised an issue. Can you please remove Dolphin from the password list? It's my um, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, like, I, I don't, I don't think like that it's necessarily a bad thing, but I do think that if you're using a password safe, um, specifically the integration with whatever the one, one pass, I think it was the last pass one. Um, and you're automatically generating passwords for things. And they're like, you know, you, you're generating 18 character, 24 character, like full character set kind of passwords. And it, it pops up and says, yo, your password is in the breach. It's like, okay. So it's in a word list of like 10 billion words. Um, it's getting hashed and, and like, if somebody's going to use that word list and also or attempt to crack the hash off it or something like that, and it's salted, it's still going to be pretty difficult. Like I don't see the really strong randomly generated passwords, their reuse as, as terrible as like the Hunter two big dog one type. Thing. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I definitely think it's, it's a step forward though. Um, definitely helpful for people. I guess we'll just see how it actually affects um the overall reuse of passwords um which i, I definitely think is is interesting <laughs> on the topic though speak. like uh trehan had that post where uh, he was saying that he uses uh whatever thing whatever one he is it one pass one pass okay um anyway and uh he's saying that you can use the facial recognition with the iphone um to or your smartphone or whatever to unlock the password safe but I just find that hilarious because one of the things I like to do in the office was um, to, to pick up people's uh, phones and just show it to them. And they look really confused, but they're not under duress. So it just unlocks like straight away. So then you could take it one step further, show it to them. They get confused, open the browser, show it to them again. They'll be more confused. And they've just entered their password without having to like press anything. Yeah. It's just I find it. How far do you go of like uh, use these password safes to make it secure, and then you've gone full circle? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's there's definitely a lot of work to be done in this sort of field, but I think definitely though that 
there are, um, this is definitely a good step forward. Um, but speaking of, eh, I don't know, speaking of Google, I guess, is the same thing. <laughs> the next story we have here is about um, some Google Play Store apps that have a bunch of malware and phishing scams. And they all seem to be um, those uh, like different sort of camera um, apps. So top three are pro camera beauty, uh, cartoon art, photo, and emoji camera. Get a million downloads each, and then a bunch of other ones here. And yeah, they got a bunch of malware and stuff loaded into ads, um, which isn't surprising. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where you see like the watermarks of like the that Me Too app and some other ones that you just you're like these people are just owned. Like yeah, your your photo looks kind of cool, I guess, because you have like an emoji and like you know a dog dog filter. But like <laughs> it's, a, it's a small price to pay for. I guess having your phone completely uh, just rooted by some third-party company. Um, so yeah, I think it's the it's the lack of uh, Photoshop ability. I guess like the the whole thing is that you can do all of this these things with Photoshop, right? And you've and people have been able to do it for ages. Um, and all of a sudden, like people who have no idea how to use Photoshop can be like, "Oh, I want the puppy dog ears. I want to, I want the rainbow tongue or whatever." Like you know. Um, and so they just search for an app and away they go and all of a sudden like and the people who are doing it probably aren't too technical either right yeah that's that's the, but, that's I mean, the target market yeah a lot of this stuff too is like been it's the same as like any other sort of big trend it gets integrated into or people people see like people using things like snapchat and instagram and even the facebook filters and they just want to do that same thing People want to expand on that but they just, I guess, you know, just like every big trend will start throwing, you know, shitware into the, uh, into the phone or into the, the app itself. And then it just becomes completely unusable, just spyware infected application. Um, I think it comes as well to whenever something is free, like, you know, you're the product. So Absolutely. It's definitely something to look out for, though, if you're seeing people use these kind of apps, just say, yo, make sure that, uh, I don't know. Make sure that your dog face filter isn't, you know, stealing your information. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Get the dog face filter from GitHub and compile it yourself. (laughs) Exactly. Open source life. Open source. I want to. I want to see a project that is like all of the filters, but open source. Somebody start that. I think that's possible. The new dog face. It's not dog face. It's new dog face. Yeah. <laughs> RMS <laughs> face swap. I feel, like, yeah, I feel like this is an RMS argument. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a GNU earwax toe jam. Uh, <laughs> that video that video will never leave my mind. Um, the next story that we have on our list here is pretty interesting. Um, we talked last week a bit about Nest security, camera security. Um, this week, somebody had a weird encounter, I guess, with somebody who, well, somebody, I guess, who, who seems to be an avid user of smart home technology, the article says. Um, apparently, they put their seven-month-old baby to bed, and then they heard a, a weird noise coming from the, their room. And then when he went in, he heard a deep male voice coming from a Nest security camera that was installed in the nursery. Um, and this person, I guess, was talking to this baby. Uh, while I was sleeping, and then put like turned the thermometer up to 90 degrees 
um, which is pretty fucked up, actually, if you think yeah, about it. it. It's, it's not... <laughs> it's, like, very, very creepy. Um, and I... I mean, as more people have more integrations for smart homes, this is just going to get weirder and weirder until there are very, very rigid, like, actual guidelines for these technologies to use because people, these, these things are being access by people on showdown with like default credentials like if you're well, you know this is on also network. Says that this guy was an avid user of smart home technology and he has like seven the 16 cameras or something in his house and yeah. man there's all sorts of weird going on i think this is a uh, one thing you could point to for advocacy of hack back though <laughs> <laughs> at I what mean... point does nest get liability on them yeah that's a good point uh i mean that's it's sort of out of the box configurations have always been a problem you know like you're kind of expected to know how to secure your devices and set them up but uh the vendors have never given a shit ever really they kind of have now though california passed legislation recently so they they have to start giving a shit pretty soon. Yep. Yeah. No, it's definitely it's it's really scary. Um, just to think about. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we would say and talk about as an attack vector and something to look out for. And you say, but what if someone's looking at your kid while they're sleeping? And people are like, oh, like you're just being paranoid. It's like no, people do this all the time. People do this kind of shit all the time. As creepy as you can possibly think, somebody could be with internet and technology there are people that are 10 times creepier than the way that you could imagine and would want to try to it we talked about uh iot thermostats before and turning an office somewhat like i I told a story on the podcast where somebody had turned an office up to like something and then bricked the thermostat and it, it was really hot but in this case i think it's super different because the guy who did it knew there was a baby there and i'm pretty sure 32c with a baby like who's probably wrapped up in a blanket and shit is not very safe. Like that's uh that's a absolutely No, I mean that's that's, that's a really good point. Jesus man, that's so horrible. Yeah, like what yeah. a dickhead. That's yeah. I mean what could make an argument that that's attempted assault or at least attempted assault, if not attempted murder. Yeah, yeah it's like you if you analyze the situation, because they've done enough to analyze the technology, they can clearly analyze the people as well and go like, oh, baby, maybe I won't set it to 32 degrees. Like, you know. Yeah, for real. Jeez. Maybe. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty people wild. Are, people are evil and fucking terrible. Hack those people. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of hack back, um, <laughs> this, uh, this flaw in RDP clients, um, which... I thought the term reverse hack is really funny, but hack back, I guess, um, in um, in PCs, I guess. Um, so there's a bunch of RDP clients that have some uh, code execution vulnerabilities and some other nasty stuff. Basically, if you are connecting through, with it to an RDP server, you can actually um, do weird stuff like modify files on the host, uh, on the client's computer, and um, 
you know, be able to actually just mess around with them and stuff, modify the clipboard. Um, our desktop, which is the older version, I guess, of um, open source RDP client, that's the one that comes with default in Kali Linux and it has this vulnerability, um, which I think is kind of funny, um, especially because everybody who's doing that is running it as a root. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a bunch of this uh, stuff to look into. It's, um, yeah, with the, the uh, Linux-based clients as well, like they're straight up, it's pop and calc. And if you're popping calc as root, like, it, and finding these things on Shodan as well, like if you if you laid a bunch of honeypots and uh, somebody attempts to RDP into your box, it's kind of their fault, right? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like that, that goes into some really, really murky territory of hacking back and setting up, you know, malicious honeypots. I mean... It's yeah. I feel like definitely different jurisdictions and different um, different, I guess, laws and customs would be the thing that would, I guess, carry this thing through. I don't really know, um, but I definitely think it is funny though if you have some you know honeypot server with screenshot on Shodan. This is like this is like you know private server. You can't use this. And then some idiot obviously is going to connect to it, and then you know. Then they just get their Kali Linux box uh, destroyed, which is obviously dual booted with Windows 8. <laughs> uh, the That's Windows cool. one, the Windows clipboard one, where like I, I don't like the feature of being able to copy and paste even in and out of VMs or in and out of like RDP or anything like that. I think it's a, yeah, it always freaks me out. Like isolation is the key. But um, in the in the POC that you like in the video that shows the POC actually, um, it copies and pastes the file and then it executes uh, like I, don't know, I guess it's the Medikey R and the RAN box comes up something and then it adds something to the startup folder. Um, there's de way, definitely way better payloads you could think of like if you you know dropping Mimi cats and you know emailing yourself the creds or something like that. You know, way way more. Uh, <laughs> That sounds like a yeah. That sounds like a fun weekend project, though. If you guys, by the way, it's kind of tangent, but you guys see that um, that USB drive that some guy found that instantly blue screens uh, Windows boxes, and he found that it actually works over RDP as well. Now. Oh wow! Yeah. I thought so, you were talking about talk about the uh, the USB drive that someone found in uh, like seal shit. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say that too. Wait, what? I missed that. What? What happened there? Oh, some researchers found like this, like year-old, like uh, thumb drive that had been uh, eaten by a seal, and uh, <laughs> it was. They just popped it in their uh, their computer and pulled a bunch of video off of it. And I was like, wow, isn't that a? Wouldn't that be a neat attack vector? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> feeding seals USB drives to own scientists. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. APT shit. Who's really going to expect that, you know? <laughs> I have one that uh, got run over by a car and it broke the connector off, but I was able to dump the, uh, the chip itself. That was interesting. It was a fun project. There was nothing on it. It was like empty and uh, um, had a Word document with some trash in there, but yeah. Huh. But I think the goal here is to start feeding USBs to all sorts of animals to start, <laughs> to start spreading malware. Yeah. 
what about like birds? Like you know how they uh, yeah. birds eat seeds and then they spread the seeds and shit. Like it's... it would be that avian uh, avian RFC, except for your you're tunneling it through avian carrier. Yeah, right? that's, that's definitely tunneling. That's the, definitely avian, like the avian equivalent of the sneaking net. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a definitely uh, something to look out for if you're a researcher for people feeding. <laughs> um, so uh, the next one is interesting too. I mean, you know, it's I've been seeing this being used a bunch lately. Uh, the Think PHP uh, RCE. Um, so apparently, this there's a this article here talking about some crypto miner that is uh, infecting Linux and Mac OS with miners using um, the Think PHP exploit. So there's this whole kit that's doing it. It's a Trojan called SpeakUp, um, and it's basically like using Think PHP as the initial vector, and then um, going through a bunch of other um, CVEs and trying to use those for um, rooting the actual machine and throwing on some miners on some big servers. So, and scanning the local network as well was interesting. Mm -hmm. That was a thing. That's the thing that's uh, something I haven't thought about for a while. But like, yeah, botnets once they uh, infected were often used to scan local hosts and uh, pop stuff over SMB and whatever. Like more advanced yeah. techniques than the than the initial, um, you know, like the. The initial um, vector is like really shitty, but then after that, it starts you know, ramping up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, definitely something to look out for. I've never really used Think PHP or the this the CMS that it uses. Um, but well, the the, sorry, if you look at the um, the the distribution graph, you can see that it's heavily used in China, like. Yeah. in Mexico, like it's does it seems like that it's uh targeted towards that market, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely interesting. No, I've seen a couple of POCs for it floating around, so um, definitely interesting stuff. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's as well, like uh, some of the other funny things as well that are just like little side notes, like base 64 encoding the payloads and things, um, mm -hmm. like typical, like. Uh, things that you'll see in Apache logs is like a chunk of base 64 for like an unknown reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, yeah, it's like really simple tricks like salted base 64 all of a sudden you don't get detected by an RDS so easily. Yeah, it was interesting though, salted um, base 64. I feel like that's definitely um, not to give anybody any ideas, but I don't know why people aren't using custom character sets for base 64 more. It's pretty simple. Um, Base 32 is yeah. actually something that popped up. Yeah. Because it's that? just so, like, slightly slightly more obscure than Base 64. Yeah. <laughs> slightly. But it's so, it's so readily and easily accessible. It really is surprising that it's not used way, way more. <laughs> Probably um, right. Yeah. With oh. like, if you look at uh, HTML emails and stuff like that, where inline um, images are all base sixty four anyway, so yeah. all of a sudden, a lot of the things that might often be detected won't be detected because uh, it's just assumed that it's an image or some sort of you know it's got the same you know 
Um, yeah, yeah, I've definitely noticed that recently. Uh, an uptick in it, at least, like the text, like just regular plain text that is an image, actually, but it's just base sixty four encoded, so it comes through. Yeah, you can yeah. you can throw like a a GIF header on it or something. We actually there was that interesting GIF. Uh, that's a bit of a tangent, but that GIF in Discord this week that uh, crashed the mobile client. Wait, what was that? Yeah, what was that? Uh, cool dot GIF. Oh yeah. Um, wait, did we talk about that? Uh, no, Before? I don't think. Oh yeah, um, Discord. Well, actually, we can talk about that in a little bit when we get to the Discord um, story here. But yeah, that was very interesting too. <laughs> um, yeah, let's shelve it for then. Um, the next one that we have here is um, two hacks. So this is this is interesting for me to read. Um, I don't know if you guys have what your take on it is. So there has been. I'm not sure if this is specifically. Yeah, this is specifically for cryptocurrency exchange attacks. But there's two groups that are supposedly responsible for 60% of all the publicly reported hacks that have been happening. The interesting thing was is that they, well, they, they've classified it into code names Alpha and Beta for the big group, bigger group and the smaller group, respectively. Um, and so there's the Alpha group, um, you know, there's way more attacks and they don't seem to be as money motivated and they seem to be way more sophisticated at actually moving money and the beta group um, apparently is not as uh, good at that, but they're still committing a lot of the sort of crimes. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much about the security, the state of security within cryptocurrency exchanges. I know we've talked a little bit about it, but I don't know, DNZ, if you have any uh, thoughts on on this. Uh, I mean. Not really. I guess there's like you got sort of uh, your Chad group who are the betas, funnily enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, two groups seems the way that it's categorized, like that seems to be pretty blanket. Like I feel like there's uh, in the cryptocurrency world, there's lots of little cells doing their own little things, like whether they're actually exploiting things. Um, yeah, I don't it's there's lots of like it's being such a shady unregulated um sort of world like as, as much as we have regulations coming in and they're doing stuff for the larger currencies larger exchanges and, and stuff like that there's still a lot of stuff going on so i'm not really sure how accurate that there's exactly just like the the alpha totally ultra sophisticated hack group it's made up of like you know top tier black hats or something, and then there's like the chats yeah. that are just making cash. Like it seems very very blanket. So I'm not. I'd need a little bit more information to really say that uh, that's how it goes down. But I, I can definitely vouch that you can join a million pump and dump discords that have like you know um, scams going on, like people trying to scheme and scam like their way into into crypto riches. So. Hey, uh, you did you say they weren't financially motivated though, according to the one report? Yeah, the, this report was saying that the first one didn't seem to be as financially motivated and much, and that they were more technically motivated to just see if they could actually own these certain exchanges or do carry out these kind of attacks. Um, that's the first group. Um, that's, that's pretty significant, no? It's well, I don't know how they really average how they like they 
they have come to that conclusion. Uh, so the, the thing is, though, like with if you're the sophisticated attackers, just seeing if you can own an exchange, you're not. Um, I mean, everybody in this situation is financially motivated, basically. Like you, you don't have like there are the, the few academics, and they're going to be public about who they are and the research they're doing and, and and reporting bugs and things like that. That's that's the type of I guess person. But when you've got like a sophisticated attacker, they're either planning or they're selling it or they're doing you know there's some other route that they're going to be like so using this information for like they're not just going to yeah. be like oh let's see if we can own an exchange and get access to millions of dollars like there's got to be a yeah yeah no i mean i'm just saying this is the experts stay alpha is a giant tightly controlled organization at least partly driven by non-monetary goals which is that that's the interesting thing so that's the right, bigger but- group that let's is, say they, yeah. Let's say they they have all these exploits lined up. They know they can own a bunch of exchanges. Um, they're tightly controlled, and let's say they're they're like a total like proper organization. They're they're performing ops where they're whatever, right? Maybe their motivation isn't known today, um, mm-hmm. and maybe their their goal is to simply like put a certain currency through the floor. So they might not be monetary goal monetary oriented in like. I'm going to steal this currency, but they, you know, might stop trading on one thing so that they can make shadow trades in the background somewhere else and profit on a margin somewhere else. So like, I don't Mm -hmm. see that like the attacks themselves might not be monetary oriented, but like, I would, I would bet that there's some other form of like money trading hands elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine like, it's hard to like say, like give that without a secondary, like, like response or reason right like say not monetary and then just like cut it off there like it's not uh and the article doesn't seem to really explain that any further yeah um but i would imagine maybe targeting certain exchanges in certain geographic areas like but so let's say uh, like one thing we've talked about before is um uh, 51% attacks, pretty common, like hear about them fairly regularly. Um, and in the, in the case of a mining pool, like somebody might own a mining pool and not take anything from the wallet. Um, they might not service it. They might cut it from the blockchain for a minute um, or do something else. And then even though they could have just taken money there, there's like ulterior motives for re- removing a, a mining pool from a blockchain because, you know, it, it might have N percentage of uh, total miners for um for that currency or whatever so generally when you like i i you know i can't imagine that there's any uh real group out there that is code name you know the code name alpha group i can't imagine that that group is out there doing these things without some kind of like back channel that they're they're doing it's just if they are so sophisticated they're sophisticated enough to think of um not the most obvious attack route you know yeah no, definitely interesting though to see. Um, I guess we'll see where this goes. Um, but yeah. Um, then, well, speaking of millions and millions of dollars, uh, the next one we have here is the person who stole five million dollars by sim swapping gets ten years in prison. Um, so yeah, this is an interesting story. Um, there's a few other ones, but this person has stolen a lot of money um, by sim swapping and Bitcoin. Um, bitcoin wallets um and yeah he's one of the first people i guess is getting charged for this sort of thing 
which there's tons and tons of people who are sim swapping and it's i don't know why it's not <laughs> going down it seems i don't know why there's not more training on this sort of thing um but yeah um this person did go is going to jail for 10 years for this the telcos just don't give a shit well they I mean they might start because there have been people who have been suing uh like their cell providers uh for negligence criminal negligence yeah i mean every single thing that people do now is tied to some sort of 2fa with their phone and like it there's stuff that's re- is required you know even like discord you can't use discord without a phone if you want to get verified you can't you need a phone like there's no other way to do it um same thing with bitcoin same thing with everything really and so yeah i definitely think it speaks to a larger problem that i'm hoping is going to get resolved at some point um but using only a phone for 2FA and the ability for people to do for like a literally like a 14 year old kid to just pay someone five bucks to sim swap on like raid forums or something is just pretty fucked up that <laughs> people can just do that. I think the, the, the key here is like the five million bucks. Like this is one thing I've always seen with, uh, well, I mean, this is just my perspective, but like with, with law enforcement and kicking people's doors in and um, putting people away, if somebody's getting hurt or if some money is getting stolen, th- these are like the key driving factors between like, you know, money, money and an injury, I guess, or money and uh, hurting people is, is what drives law enforcement. And um, if you're going to steal $5 million, regardless of how you do it, you best be prepared to go to fucking jail. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't I mean, know you what you expect, yeah. but. Yeah, like you're gonna just steal like five million crypto and be like, ah, yeah, just like sim swap them on some forum and then like, okay, pimp Alex ninety one hotmail dot com. No, problem. <laughs> this is like not. This is not a well thought out plan. No, not at all. Um, yeah, it's definitely just you kind of you get you get what you deserve. <laughs> I mean, definitely don't do that kind of shit. And yeah, I definitely am hoping that. Um, there are more sort of trainings for this kind of thing. Same thing with like swatting and anything else that just requires no skill, but going on the phone and sounding convincing. Um, yeah, I mean, this kind of thing is, it's just, I don't know. There needs to be more training for it. At the same time, uh, if, you know, you got to keep that $5 million or if you'd already hidden it away, that's a, it's a pretty decent trade-off. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, guess, but you might get sued, and there might be other additional things that happen yeah. as well. But this is the this is the crime versus reward payoff. If you really, if you feel like that the reward is worth the time, do the. But it's uh, it's rarely going to be like it's. If you live in, especially if you live in the U.S. or like Australia or uh, any country that you can get employed to do <laughs> to do uh, hacking, like. You can make a yeah. lot of money without doing any crimes at all. Yeah, like you can stay at home all day, make a shitload of money, do all the things you want to do, and you don't have to go to jail. Pretty sweet. <laughs> oh, um, Dash brings up an interesting point too for the sim swapping thing. He's saying sim swapping should be harder to pull off, but account verification breaks down when the frontline employees are afraid of a bad customer service review costing them their commissions for the whole pay cycle, which is a matter of fucked incentive structures as much as anything. So that, that's definitely a huge thing, is that there's a lot of the customer service 
the forward-facing customers, care people that have to deal with the kids that are sim swapping, those sort of people are like, you know, they're afraid of, of getting in trouble in their, you know, usually minimum wage job at a call center somewhere or at, um, you know, Best Buy or something. Um, and it, it's definitely uh, that, that whole structure of how, you know, you, you pay for, or you get money for, you know, the amount of activations that you have or the amount of account services you do is pretty bad. I can attest to how easy it is to get people the other end. Uh, when I used to sell cell phones, we'd have people mm -hmm. come in all the time with like not knowing their credentials, like, but like, obviously this, like the whole like account belonged to them and it was, yeah like un ungodly easy to get them to just be like oh well you know we're not supposed to do this but uh and like let us into their accounts without like the necessary stuff just because you have like an angry soccer mom standing next to you like saying like yeah well, what's going on yeah no, i can see that too it's definitely a, a, a the human aspect of that sort of thing is definitely a huge factor like just being seeing and identifying with people who are frustrated. Um, there was a department, uh, well, actually not, not one department, a, a multiple departments at um uh, Tolco that I spent some time at where they were a reseller um of of the of larger Tolco's stuff, and basically the wholesale ordering uh, required a client a client certificate to be installed on in your browser. And because of the super mm. high turnover of the actual um, of the call center, like because nobody wanted to work there, um, they basically would hand out these certificates like they were candy. And I don't know what it's like now. This is a lot, this is significant time ago, but if you had that certificate, you had access to provision um, like all of the landline services, including DSL and other things. Um, and so, so, if you were like some guy on raid forums and you just go get a job there and start, you know, slinging sim swaps for five bucks because you think it's a good idea. Like it, yeah. it's, you know, it's not that, uh, not that difficult to get access legitimately um, because you're supposed to be doing your job with, you know, an ulterior motive. Absolutely. Um... So speaking further of uh, sim swaps and other sketchy shit, um, there's an interesting article that Forbes put out, um, which actually came out the same day as our last podcast, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Um, and so this is a whole thing about um, just the different weird shit that happens on Discord, which we're no strangers to, of seeing people promoting this sort of thing. Um, but there's basically they go into uh all the different sort of cyber crime that happens whether it's carding or ddosing or identity theft or whatever sort of other weird shit um they are definitely the fbi seems to be looking at it and i if they weren't before and they suddenly are now um that's pretty surprising to me but definitely seen a lot of um the sketchier discord sort of go off the radar after seeing this um post so um yeah, if you are on Discord and you are using it for crime, you are going to get caught at some point. That's all I will say. Yeah, Discord. I mean, it's sort of like the IRC boom when people, everyone you knew was on like IRC, ICQ. I guess in a, in the states it was probably AOL, like AIM. Um, 
it's normal people finding this chat service that is everyone seems to be using for voice and stuff like we're using it right now but mm -hmm. it's not a very good platform like it's not it, it's literally that episode of uh, silicon valley where they figure that everyone that's using their, their chat service is like 14 year old kids and then a bunch of creepy old guys yeah and like uh, we do, i think we do pretty good to remove people who um are kind of you know maybe young and in the scene like and just remove them from our discord for the fact of we're talking about how to do things I don't know. It's not appropriate content, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. Yeah. And we don't know everyone who's in our Discord either. There's a, it's a public Discord. A lot of people join it. And if you if we notice people who like maybe aren't appropriate, then they get removed. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of it's it's a really it's a, it's it's the IRC Wild West all over again. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the same sort of things to remember about IRC as you do with this. There's a lot like the the security structure of discord is the same i'd say as that i mean there's lots of you know access and permissions stuff to deal with as well as the fact that there's a lot of of things that i think people might not realize about how their communication actually gets parsed by discord because the thing that we've we all seem to know now is that um you know there's they don't strip any exif data off of anything um there's no sort of um, file filtering at all um so if you upload something in discord if you upload a picture from your phone and you need a gps on everyone else is going to have your gps location you know um you upload... sorry gps it is, is stripped down. yeah but i've oh, received really? iphone images and i've looked at them and they have all of the other exif data about the image but they yeah. it removes the gps so there are some things being removed now but not a great deal yeah um same thing with files though file uploads which we could talk about the 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 gif and the other the spotify link um those sort of things there's tons of stuff that that if you are um like there, there's just everything is still young with discord and the same with anything is it, you know so there's people are able to do sort of weird stuff that you wouldn't think that they'd be able to do anymore you know like uploading just straight up viruses like well-known viruses that if you download them on any computer they will be uh um you know flagged immediately and removed even by the most basic virus definitions we saw that before actually with remember that somebody had came in with a uh an image JPEG. that had a uh, there's a jpeg that had a um that had like a payload in it for windows um that got removed yeah. but images are cached locally by windows discord and i think by linux as well uh, they're cached locally so then it just goes onto your computer and then it's just a payload on there for further use. Um, there's tons of different things like that where it just, you gotta just realize that security of being on there, you know, whatever you upload onto there, whatever you get shared into your channels, those are all sort of, they, they don't have as much security as you might think they do. So if you are on Discord doing weird shit, you're definitely not safe. And okay, now the FBI is really actually looking. One of the things I think has powered this uh, this boom in using Discord as opposed to Slack or other hosted platforms uh, mm -hmm. is the uh, how easy it is to write bots the, using their APIs for Python and, um, and Node and, and other languages Go as well. Um, you can write mm -hmm. a bot really easy. You can click on the API developer things like click setup bot, bang, here's your key. 
run this example code, you have a bot. And now people who would have traditionally back in the day written IRC bots are just using Discord. Um, yeah. Also, the interface like encourages like multiple like being in multiple servers and whatnot. Quote mm. servers. It's all it's spoiler. There's no there's no actual servers. Guilds. Yeah. Guilds, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean it's definitely there's a lot to consider about it. There's a lot of I see a lot of just weird shit on Discord. Weird communities, definitely sketchy stuff, and that sort of thing just. I don't know. I mean, you're you're just not gonna be safe on it. As someone said in here, uh, what do they say? Uh, why would hosting, why would using a fully hosted service for crimes be a bad strategy? <laughs> um, yeah, um, that's completely true. Same thing with Facebook or anything else. Twitter, using so it for crimes. The, uh, FBI. One of the hmm? funny things actually that happens. So we'll just quickly talk about this GIF. Um, okay, yeah, it's yeah. like like a little exploding slime, and um, the head the head is corrupted. So one of the fields that I, I can't remember which one of the uh, the dimension fields is just set to like FF or whatever. And it if you look at it with like identify with image magic, it'll straight away just tell you that the dimensions are too large and image magic exits. Um, I assume this is what's happening within Discord because there's no, uh, it's it's a it's an unhandled exception and it just it's only on the mobile app on iOS and on um, on uh, the other thing, Android. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just funny. Like it's was pasted into uh, an unnamed, pretty large infosec Discord, and an infosec professional went got very mad, um, telling us how dangerous it was. <laughs> to have an unhandled exception. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people definitely got really wild about it. It's definitely funny, um, truly interesting. Um, but yeah, there's there's been a few different parsing bugs. People use those. People are going to continue to leverage those. So again, don't have any private conversations. If somebody was smart or fast enough to be able to also chain that um, that crash with any other sort of bug, um we've been pretty screwed um same with this spotify link which i haven't posted in discord yet because it actually apparently does crash discord um, oh it destroys discord yeah link actually do you want to talk about it what, what does it so, do uh i got somebody sent me uh i was watching i was in a, like a dm like a video call with somebody watching like a tv show and my friend's like yo enjoy this discord and i'm like all right this dude only talks to me on two occasions, and they're both sketchy. Let's see what it is. So I click on the Discord, and as soon as I click on it, the second I joined, my Discord crashed. I was like, what the fuck? So, like, I couldn't open Discord because when you reopen Discord, it goes to the last server you were in, and that was that server. So I opened up Discord on the browser, which doesn't open the last one. It just opens to, like, your DMs or something. And I deleted the server, and then I reopened the desktop desk Discord so that I wasn't, like, crashing. So I DM'd them, <laughs> and I said, what's in there? Because it's obviously not, like, the server link that's crashing me. There's something in the server. So he yeah. just sends me, he I can't send it here because it'll crash me. So he sends me, like, a paste bin with just a Spotify link. <laughs> like, <laughs> apparently the embed for the Spotify, I'm assuming, just, like, errors out and... I didn't look into it too much because I was literally in the middle of like watching a TV show with somebody and like my Discord crashes. They're like, what's going on? Because you can still yeah. talk if you're in a voice channel. You just can't use Discord 
Like you, I couldn't leave the the voice channel. It's just like Discord has crashed. Oh no. Um, yeah, I'll have to uh, look into it more before I share it because it definitely seems fucking like a way to break the Discord. Well, so, I uh, I've realized with the like the GIF, especially since that GIF thing that DNZ was talking about came out or like was posted right before spoiler tags happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about spoiler tags is you can't post a link. So, like, if you post a link with spoiler tags, it doesn't embed. It hides the embed. Yeah. But if you post an image with the spoiler tags, it does. Yeah. There's a weird ways about parsing it to definitely play with a bit, but... There's, yeah, uh, I mean... There's some other sketchy shit as well. So, like, I've been, uh... I've been screwing around at the bot API looking at some of the different, um undocumented events that are emitted from uh, the WebSocket uh, when you from a, from a bot API, which is the same as a client API, actually. It doesn't doesn't distinguish, really. Um, and, yeah, there's, like, a lot of events that go on that, like, if somebody opens a DM with you and they don't even type anything, like, stuff like that will... Uh, is captured by Discord. And if you, uh, if you download your Discord data, like, you go to the site and then the privacy settings you can request your data it takes a couple of days and it will have every ip you've ever logged in from the device the operating system like everything you can imagine and um it has all your messages even the ones you've deleted in in json format so all the people that are using like the those scripts that um delete all your messages like it's not very useful um so yeah like it's good so that people can't like screenshot you because there's a lot of like people that just like clip everything some like people say um and i guess like removing it is you know one thing but it's it's not removed from the server side um and yeah like but just going through the 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 dump as well that they send you you can actually you you have like messages from a random person's id and it'll be an empty json object that has no messages in there and i can only assume that's because somebody opened a dm with me and uh and just never said anything. Um, but some of the things that like are omitted as well uh, out of the WebSocket are like, if somebody starts typing somewhere, it will it'll send a message to update your GUI, I guess. Um, and yeah, like then you can use that. To, like it'll tell like links to the author object and all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, there's a bunch of stuff people can use. It's definitely there's a lot of integrations with it as well. So as you were saying, like definitely practice good practice good opsec. And practice just good general security practices. Don't download weird stuff people send you. Don't click on random links and assume everybody is screenshotting and recording everything you do. Because they yeah, are. Because yeah. they uh, are. Yeah, it's not a government. Uh, <laughs> government, it's just random people too. Um, one thing I will say about what DNZ was saying was uh, before Discord, so if you sent an image to Discord, right? It's like you upload an image. Uh, so let's say DNZ is being cheeky and he uploads an image of his ass to like general. Before, if you clicked on that before he deleted it, you could open the original and it would open in your web browser. So the image was still yeah. there. Uh they now like sanitize that for the most part. So if somebody sends yeah. an image, if you open it in your browser before they delete it, obviously you still have it and you can save it. But if you just open it in Discord and before they delete it. Like, so, like, I send an image, you open it in Discord, so it's in the pop-out, and then I delete it, and you try to open the original, it's not found. 
Yeah, uh, I, I saw that recently. Yeah, you. I think it's 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 a references. If it's not referenced, if that uh, CDN hosted object is not referenced within any messages, so uh, by the way, a DM between somebody is treated exactly the same as yep. any other channel. Um, it is so like yeah. Yeah, so if you yeah, if you there's no longer a reference, it's what three days or something before it can be up to three days before it's removed from the city. I think was the estimate. I've Wait, noticed um, it happening it, instantly. It depends. I because actually I did the test of hosting a website on Discord CDN by having uh, just going backwards with what I was putting on there, and yeah, it stays for a while. Um, uh, but a few days. But I delete. Quick or earlier, I had deleted stuff and it persisted on the on the CDN, and I had just an HTML file with files referenced that I had already uploaded within that. So, what's um, the the TTL on the object? Yeah, I don't know how long it actually lasts. It's it, yeah. There's been instances where it's been quick and been long, so maybe it's like a batch time. Yeah, who knows? Um, but yo, we actually were, we're kind of going over on the news and I wanted to get to the last story we had real quick. This is about a security researcher who was assaulted by a vendor after trying to disclose a vulnerability. Um, so there's some people here, some of them actually are in our server um, that had done some research on, um, they basically had found these uh, ho hotel, casino kiosks that were used for managing rewards and account information about people at various casinos in like Las Vegas and all over the world, including at Caesars and things like that. And so they had apparently found um, that one, all the communications between the kiosks and the back ends were unencrypted in plain text, um, which is a big no-no for the fact that there's like credit card information, driver's license info and everything else. Um, but they also had um, just unauthenticated access to like FTP servers and things where this data was being stored. And they spent a while, um, you know, trying to do the research on this. They had contacted the vendor that they had gotten, the FBI got in touch with them. A bunch of people got in touch with them. And then um, one of the researchers went to the ICE conference. Um, it's a conference for, I don't know what ICE actually is, but it's a, one of the um, vendor conferences for this, and the um, the CEO of the company or the CEO of the company um, had done a was doing a talk here, and they went to the conference to try to talk to him in person, and apparently the the dude just like when they went to talk to him, like grabbed him, ripped off his conference bag, like like roughed him up or his conference badge, roughed him up, told him that he wouldn't need the conference. Uh, attendee badge anymore and he was going to keep it just like some weird like the like high school bully shit like this reminds me of like yeah just like this is this is very very weird so is yeah there, this is there a video of it anywhere um i'm not sure there's a video here um uh, i don't know if this is a video of it of the actual it's the video of what like directly after that's there's... amazing yeah yes yeah. uh I mean, you preface it with allegedly because there's people calling like um, Dan Gooden. Was saying you know what? Uh, he's looking for like corroboration. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this sort of thing though is like, I mean, it, as much as I, if it's hearsay now, we definitely don't want to put people on blast for it. But 
the sort of like the fact that they're not getting any response from the vendor is such a classic classic tale it's so difficult to disclose bugs in certain scenarios especially with people that have a lot of pride like anybody who's doing something with a casino or anybody who's in some sort of spooky defense sort of thing a lot mm -hmm. of people don't want to hear that their stuff is vulnerable they don't care they want to push out their product and make the money um and so it's definitely uh not something that people here aren't familiar with but yeah the fact that this happened i was waiting for something like this to eventually happen so i haven't I'm i haven't heard of this at all and i'm telling you this story has legs if it's legit that's crazy but also yeah. like uh this this really reminds me of um a story that i have been i've heard uh from a time where it's also also in the uk so in earlier hacker days um when the uk was split i believe between the north and the south of the black hats on one side and the white hats on the other side there was a i, I have heard a story where a a black hat walked up to a white hat in the pub and square punched them in the face for the sole reason of they're on the other side I thought, was, <laughs> I thought that was pretty fucking hilarious um i don't condone it but uh, I guess it's just come around to now. Now they're in the industry. Now it's an industry. It's the same thing, but with the industry on top. Yeah. You absolutely. don't condone it, but if you're going to do it, at least record it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, good news section. The lull of the week is the NSA branded co webcam covers are see through, obviously. I don't think that the NSA would ever do anything that wasn't backdoored. Um, so congrats. That was a great, great prank. <laughs> I mean, that's, um, I think that could even be better than the, the CLSSP. That's, a, yeah, that's an excellent joke. <laughs> it's good, good stuff. But yeah, so let's uh, get into our interview here. Um, PowerCycle, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, everybody. Oh, hello. Yeah. How are you doing? Hello. Good, good. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess Natan, do you want to start off with this one, or do you? Are you are you well? I know that you are are sickly as well as me. <laughs> uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not well, but I am <laughs> well enough to uh, <laughs> to talk about uh. One of my buddies uh, that really has helped me through a lot of stuff and given me a lot of perspective in life. And that's uh, the great power cycle. Uh, we met quite a while ago now, uh, back in the day. And uh, just a really smart dude. Uh, he has a really kick ass history with uh, DDoS mitigation and has dealt with some really cool uh, things that uh, I think. You know, uh, on a blue and defender side, uh, a lot of us deal with things that kind of never see the light of day uh, from a news cycle point of view. Yeah, because it makes the news, then and you did that means you did a bad job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I, I thought uh, he'd have some pretty good stories he might want to share, and. Uh, that being said, yeah, buddy, uh, I'll turn it over to you and kind of let yeah. you give get give people an idea of how you got into DDoS and uh, how you built things up from there. Um, so yeah, do you want to go over a little bit, I guess, about your background and introduce like who you are, 
what you do, and then we can kind of get into some more of the the details about stuff. Okay, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so uh, how I got into DDoS was um, I was just looking for a job, and I spammed my resume everywhere, um, and I got called by a recruiter. Um, and this was um, when I was living in uh, South. So uh, turns out this recruiter was for Prolexic, the DDoS company. Um, so I worked there for um, about five years. Um, so that's really where I like cut my teeth on security and like live events and things like that. Cool. Um, so I guess how how long have you been in? I guess for DDoS mitigation and active attack, you know, mitigation itself. Um, 2006 is when I started with Prolexic. So uh, 2006 to 2010, I was with them. Um, then I took a year off and then wound up going to uh, VeriSign to their DDoS mitigation group mm -hmm. up in Northern Virginia. So, uh, that's awesome. Um, so I guess one of the things I definitely want to ask is, you know, how the landscape of this has changed because you saw on our like, you know, show notes here, there's just like silly little Perl script doing some, some flooding, um, but there's, you know, Older attacks that have that have uh, were more well known that are now, I guess, built into sort of like the the mitigations for them are now built into certain products, and then certain things aren't really used anymore. Like we're not seeing as many like charge in attacks, um, but I guess I wanted to know a bit more about your perspective about how the landscape has changed since two thousand six because technology definitely has changed. Yeah, um, from my perspective, it's just sort of a wheel. And everything kind of rotates around like every four or five years. So, you know, like everybody, you know, figures out memcache as a problem and, you know, they patch it and networks start to identify it and drop it. And, and then people rotate over to something else, to another protocol, another port. Um, uh, and then when all the UDP abuse stops, then they go to, to TCP. So they'll do send floods. Um, you know, just uh, um, connection floods and <clears throat> stuff like that. And then when you start getting good at that, then they rotate to to get floods or you know trying to exhaust your database thing things like that. And then when you implement WAFs and you know you get really good signatures versus those things, then they rotate back to UDP floods and it's NTP or it's DNS again. Um, so that's that you know over the course of, of ten years, that's what I see. Okay, yeah. Um, so I guess, do you want to walk us through a little bit about what are the first things you do in incident response? Because um, I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, when this sort of thing happens, it, they either freak out or they assume that their stuff is going to be fine. And like, there's somewhere in the middle is the truth for it of, um, you know, either be concerned about it or, you know, like, I guess people, I want to just walk through how uh, you actually address it when you start getting attacked. Yeah, um, the 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 assumption is that um, you have to break everything down into links. You know, there's there's your local server, there's your load balancer in front of that, there's your core router, there's maybe your border router. You know, is that even connected to maybe a backbone router? Um, and all of these links along the way have capacity and and um, 
even if your server and your application can, you know, withstand, you know, 50 million uh, application requests per second on a network level, that's not going to happen. Um, things are going to start to fall down. So, um, so you have to think of it, of, of any application or any service really as all of the pieces together. And, and, you know, when you've got that, then um, the preparation for it is always just communication, being able to analyze your network and say, am I really under attack or is this a, um, is this the CDN, you know, spidering me? Um, and this is, a, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Um, and then reacting smartly so that you don't turn your network into spaghetti, trying to implement quick fixes that, you know, on the whole are not going to matter anyway, if it's, if it's really someone who's serious about attacking you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess what are some of the common misconceptions that people have about um, like DDoS beyond just mitigations, but just like what people might think about it when you go into like consult or you know address an attack? I I think the 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 common thing is people think they can get one box or they can get one service. And that they can totally just outsource it and be like, oh, somebody else, you know, uh, will will deal with it, or this box will will fix it for me. Um, when it, it's always about integration, um, and then visibility around that integration, um, because I, my thing is usually when I when I talk to people, I'm like, yeah, that, that that's great that this machine does that thing, but what are you going to do when it starts to fail? Because you are by default putting this machine up to the highest capacity load that it could possibly take in the real world. Things fail like that. So, you know, you, you need to plan for those eventualities instead of considering them as edge cases. Yeah, absolutely. You know, cause there's a lot of, a lot of services that might try to build themselves as like the one-stop solution for it. But as you're saying, it's definitely not just one thing. And also the whole communication aspect is like really key. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I guess, what are some of the, the, the bigger attack vectors that you might see up in, oh, hold on one second. Um, the bigger attack vectors that you're seeing up and coming um, as far as DDoS stuff. So there's been like the, uh, what's it called, co-op and other sort of different protocols that are being abused for IoT stuff. Are you seeing any new up-and-coming trends that might be of note? Um, the the biggest trend was basically, you know, like with Mariah and and the IoT exploits, it changes the network topology of the botnets. So, um, with uh, IoT botnet attacks, we saw those uh, source IPs within the United States much more. Um, and with those attacks, though, those networks don't allow them to spoof uh, off of those IPs. So they wound up being more real IPs. Um, just, to, just to clarify, you're talking about the dot attacks, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And all of those attacks that, that were of that you know, nature. Um, but yeah, those were definitely one of them. Um, so yeah, so like, you know, when, you know, like when I started, uh, it was Joomla exploits 
that's that was what botnets were made out of because those were big uh beefy servers that could be used for a lot of different things and uh you know sort of the, the criminal aspect of botnets is is sort of t to you know uh, use the best as you can so if you got a really good ip you're not going to waste it on on a ddos the ddos is sort of the last thing you use a a, a server for um and when you wind up with a lot of little you know webcams those don't make good servers but you know you, you they're just throwaways you know you don't even really make a full botnet of them you just scan and grab a bunch and then do your thing um because it's almost too hard to actually keep them online but they're like you know uh, nanobots that you can keep bunches of them online so. is that kind of where you see it uh continuing the pen uh direction wise kind of this idea of nanobot nuts where uh it, it's it's almost disposable bots that are quick infections quick payload uh execution and if it gets rebooted or whatever, it doesn't matter because of the pure volume of them. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got a good network connection, um, then you don't need a lot of hard drive storage. And especially if you're probably doing something illegal, you don't want to leave a lot of tracks behind. So you're going to pipe that through one socket and then directly out the other. Um, and that's basically all you can do when you look at you know, uh, uh, a webcam, but that webcam's got is is probably hardwired. You know, um, is going to have a really good interface and can do a lot of fast data. Um, so, um, so that's what I've seen is is really the 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 bots themselves sort of change and evolve. Um, but um, uh, you know, and, and and the wheel themselves of the new thing. So when the new you know, stuff came out, then there was the new sin floods and, uh, uh, and things like that. So that sort of drives the countermeasures that you apply or the countermeasures that are popular at the time. Yeah. I just actually got a kind of interesting idea based on what you were just talking about, uh, video stream wise. Um, just there's, there's just so many limitless avenues for DDoS. Um, It'll, it'll never not be a thing, you know? Um, I guess one big thing is, have you, uh, have you seen anything uh, that's especially taking hold in the IPv6 land? Um, not really. Uh, it's always a question that everybody asks. Um, it's usually a requirement that uh, we architect and build for. But when it comes down to it, um, the first response is usually we'll just turn off IPv6 if it's a problem. We're, we, we don't even mitigate because we can immediately fall back to IPv4 and we know what we're doing there. We have those measures. When you start doing six, people are like, you know, do you want to put, you know, million dollar per minute traffic over something that nobody else is really um, fleshed out? and that people admit already has problems so you know do you think uh you might be able to go into some of your more some of your more fun and notable uh notable attacks that you've 
had to deal with or mitigate without breaking NDAs or anything like that? <laughs> sure. Uh, so the the first and probably the one everybody uh, knows the best was when um, science when uh, anonymous attack Scientology. So um, uh, when uh, uh, this uh, video of Tom Cruise was removed, uh, a bunch of people got mad. Um, started they 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 spun up a project called Chanology from 4chan and started attacking Scientology. Um, and I actually took the phone call from Scientology to set them up, um, like provision them. And then uh, we as Prolexic uh, continued to defend against those attacks like for the next uh, month, um, if not more. Um, so uh, there were, it, it was that attack on Scientology that really put DDoS in the forefront. Um, and what got the attention of a lot of the of the financial institutions and you know um, the mass of the people? It had always been a network problem and an internet problem, but um, that really you know became a media event. With uh, that, sorry, with uh, so one of the most um, I guess media uh, covered DDoS attacks was when uh, Visa and Mastercard were getting DDoSed. With Loic, can we just go into how terrible Loic was as a as a, as an attack? Yeah, it it was immediately obvious that it was Loic, um, basically because of the user agent, um, and uh, and it was just repetitive on the the same IP addresses. So a lot of the times, the the URLs that they attacked were not HTTPS even. Um, when they were, um, we would usually have certain keys and be able to just decrypt them if we needed to on the fly. But um, yeah, it it didn't obfuscate anything. Um, it was just um, another tool that looked like a lot of the other amateur tools that people did DDoS with. You were saying like the Scientology DDoS lasted for a month, like that seems like it's on the like, you know, like up there with like the 1% of how long a lot of these attacks would last. Um, what do you say is like the the average range for an attack, like length of time? Um, so I would say, think of somewhere around three days um, is, is how I would put it. Um, it, but it really depends on who the adversary is. If they're just, you know, out for extortion and they're just drive-by threatening and and demanding, um, uh, you know, it, it, in my mind, like if you don't pay, eventually they move on. Um, you know, if you don't if you don't give them anything, they're they're going to move on because they've got to make some money and they've got to make money by going and extorting somebody else. Um, so that's the common scenario that I tell people. Is that is that usually what you find yourself having to be called in uh, to professionally mitigate? Meaning, uh, you know, obviously there's booter sites and stuff like that, but those, as far as I remember, those only do like 600 seconds and really small time frames. Uh, do you find that you generally never respond to those professionally? That those are just kind of wait a few minutes and it'll go away 
Um, no, there's, there are totally problems because uh, people would just come back and hit somebody every hour or, you know, they would hit somebody, you know, um, uh, during the day repeatedly um, just when, uh, 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 just to make a disruption. And that's what DDoS really is. It doesn't need to be a sustained attack, you know, of high volume for, you know, 24-7, 365. Um, you know, like if you were, for instance, a casino, um, if I can keep you offline right before the Super Bowl, then I just cause the greatest amount of harm. I don't, I don't have to do it for a long time. But if I can keep you that hour before the Super Bowl, that that's a, the hour people bet. You know, if I can keep you offline the day before the Super Bowl, that's probably more than half your money. That's awesome. It's cool. a good explanation. So uh, could you maybe walk us through a typical DDoS mitigation, like in a response step-by-step? Um, yeah, I can try. Um, so uh, mostly it, it starts with some sort of alert that hopefully you've set up um, to be some some threshold somewhere. Um, but um, so are you asking from like the internal standpoint or from like the 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 prolexic sort of like response of somebody else aspect? Yeah, like on prolexic side. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, essentially, the, the the company's been attacked, or, or or if they're not a customer and they're coming on like like Scientology was, they're they're like they're under attack. They need protection immediately. Um, and uh, usually, if you need immediate protection, then you give me your certain key. I set up a proxy for you, and you're in business. And that's the simplest, easiest, quickest solution to the problem. Um, you know, your back end, um, you know, could be a problem, but it's still mobile. There's other places, there's other solutions. Um, if you're a larger company, then, and you don't want to give up your certain key, you know, for instance, let's say you're a financial institution, um, then you've got to do some more network uh, BGP uh, setup. And that can take like 24 hours in order for things to, to, to correctly populate. Um, but what you're doing is essentially, um, so so. Do you want to know from the from the the proxy standpoint or the the BGP standpoint? BGP. Yeah. So um, so the the client will have some sort of connection to you uh, with BGP, just like they do their ISP. So. Um, they have a connection which they can then announce their path through Prolexic, just as if Prolexic was their local, you know, AT&T provider in their data center. Um, essentially, Prolexic becomes, a, or, or, you know, whatever the service is, becomes a third ISP. And um, now that service can um, broadcast that announcement um, hopefully over there through all of their network and be able to better manage the intake of, of all the data and, and mitigate it um, at the, the, the far reaches so that, you know, the, it's not being backhauled over the Pacific Ocean into, you know, SJC. Hopefully you could eliminate in, that in Asia. And the same thing with, with Europe, um, that way maybe you don't backhaul it all the way to IED. 
Thank you. So um, during it, when, when you get the the call, it is like, oh shit, we're under attack right now, and it's a relatively large organization that you know has, you know, multiple change requests or other policy bullshit that you can't just you know do your thing. Um, what is the sort of maybe one or two top things that you wish companies would have just already done themselves, like had the foresight to be like, oh, my, one day we might get DDoS. Do a walkthrough, a very calm, very deliberate walkthrough. So just going like, okay, so if we were to get uh, like sin plotted, um, it would hit this point, this point, this point through our network or like what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, consider that, you know, like one thing fails, consider that multiple thing fails, things fail. Um, all the way up from from your app, all the way up to your ISP. You know, consider what happens to you when your when your ISP says you are so much of a problem for us right now. We have to just drop your announcement so okay. that our other customers can stay online. That was um, <clears throat> that was a frequent story as a as a DDoS service. That was a story I heard many times. Uh, was people would tell me, I don't want to be your customer, but I have been told if I don't buy your service, I won't be in business. So, um, and, and to your point of you know, change requests, when it, when it comes down to it, people are like, um, okay, this, this is real world right now business, we're down hard. And um, they will bring the people online to execute those change requests immediately. Um, you know, big, larger financial institutions have have much more requirements and double checking and, you know, uh, things like that. But they it still happens when it has to happen sort of thing. Cool. So from a, uh, a mitigation standpoint, I guess, I don't know how much you can what, what like what's secret source and what's um, but I mean, are you talking about like multiple points of null routing or like are you, do you, are you just dropping it at like really beefy proxies? Like, is there any sort of uh, things that kind of you can tell us that set you apart, I guess, that like really, you know, or is um, that all secret sauce? <laughs> uh, the, the, I would love for it to be and say it was it was all me, but but you know like most of my career has been uh, changing devices and keeping up with new mitigation tools, new mitigation equipment, um, because you eventually get down to where this one device is great at at sin floods, but it's terrible at UDP floods, and this other great this device is great at this and that and and. And but but the hot you know attack of the day may be all the way down to you know inside encrypted traffic, so so now you've got a proxy everything. Um, what I guess I've been able to do is I just keep adapting to whatever the attacks are. Um, I'm I'm really like a, a command line guy. I like to look at the the raw traffic itself, and um, and I like to. Um, try to diagnose and and look at things with multiple ways uh 
so that I can look at things, you know, hopefully I can look at London traffic and I can compare that to San Jose traffic. And I can get some idea of, of what's real, what's not, because, you know, presumably as a service, someone just flipped their traffic over to me. And I haven't had a week to, to look at their traffic and profile it and make good thresholds. So I just have to eyeball it. Um, you know, and you have, you know, equipment behind you that you've already set up to be like, oh, these are the common attacks. And these are the, these are the, you know, these are probably what we're going to attack, get attacked with. Um, but I just always stay paranoid to stay in front of it of like, oh, they, they, they could be throwing something new at me. You know, maybe my thresholds aren't that tight. I need to identify what's going on and apply the countermeasure to the attack that's happening instead of, you know, just throwing it back and saying, well, I got a device that does it sort of idea. <laughs> do you, uh, do you know of any, uh, or have you heard of any kind of DIY, uh, things that either small or medium sized businesses could deploy or implement that are effective enough to kind of, keep away the the more garbage tier DDoS kind of like the 50 gigabit from a from a booter service obviously uh, DIY stuff's probably not gonna mitigate uh, 500 gigs a second but kind of the lower uh, throughput attacks is there anything that you know of um in that space that uh that you've found to be effective or is it is it really just a, a game that is not easily played um you know it, it it's not easily played and it's not easily implemented because a lot of times you're you're asking for some security changes or implementations on on networks and people don't like that because it interferes with with the commerce and the things they've built but um like the, the two biggest things are for networks. Like if you don't use the UDP protocol, then drop it at your border. Don't let it in at all. Um, you know, manage what you do. Uh, that way people can't scan you internally, you know, when your developers accidentally leave stuff exposed. Um, and then um, sort of on the, 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 the system side of it, um, you know, just lower your connection times. So that you time out faster, so that when people hit you with sin floods or act floods or just out of state anything, um, so that your tables clear faster. Um, that way, you're less likely to get filled by you know the rather simple sort of things. Uh -huh. You think uh, Cloudflare is a is a pretty obvious win for uh, people with pretty low budgets. I mean, it's free, so yes, uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, you know, I've I've worked for or worked with all of the the, the different uh, services. So, um, it's a, uh, you know, they they really come at DDoS uh, sort of as a as a at a different angle in having many many points of presence, um, and and uh, that that works uh for what they're doing um you know it it uh, becomes a problem in the management uh for their side of it but i it seems they manage their network pretty well um 
you know so um but yeah uh why not use it have you have you seen google shield or uh, any of the other ones that are kind of experimental and out there yeah um yeah i had a friend that did some some work with google shield uh that uh um you know around the Krebs stuff and what they're mostly going for shield mostly goes after for, uh free or or notable people and and gives it away sort of as that service just so they that i think they could learn the service um because the the secret in in the industry for a while was google was just so big that they didn't even monitor what they did they would just absorb everything yeah, like yeah. they they would get attacked and not know it um, therefore you could reflect off of them and you know they were just this big bounty ball that things would come in and off of and um that's just crazy yeah there's a few companies that operate like that where they just don't care about ddos incoming they have big enough pipes that they're just like oh okay whatever <laughs> which is like a, kind of a crazy way of operating but um i've definitely seen it myself um i know uh a lot of the a lot of the bigger Fortune 500 companies tend to act that way. I don't know. Would you uh, <laughs> would you think that's a uh, good idea to continue operating in that way, <laughs> man? <laughs> well, um, no, they get they get much better at it. Most people do. You know, eventually it, it becomes a real expense or a real disrupt. Yeah. I think I heard you mention one time uh, in one of your talks that DDoS is uh, is a lot like a hurricane. Um, it's it's not something that you're gonna ever fully uh, mitigate. It's something that you kind of have to weather the storm, be prepared for, and uh, and be ready to recover. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit and uh, give give some people some uh some advice uh maybe yeah for networks that that aren't like super rich don't have a lot of money to throw around on ddos mitigation yeah um the whole i i i gave a talk that the title was ddos is more like a hurricane um and it was kind of as a response to uh, a lot of people would get very militaristic in their uh, metaphors and I, in their mindset and response. And I never really found that that attitude worked. Um, so part of it, I think, was because um, Prolexic was headquartered in South Florida. And while I lived there, there was just hurricane after hurricane those years. So I lived through a bunch of hurricanes. So that's kind of where the metaphor comes from. But, um, you know, like when I saw so many customers you know, get attacked and you, when you just see it become normal, um, the, the people who react to it calmly and prepare for it and work it, uh, you know, work the situation, then, uh, those are the ones that survive the, the people that, you know, get so frustrated and, and want to really hack back, you know, uh, that was, that was the common theme or the, the common attitude. Um, you know, that uh, really doesn't like help the situation, 
you know, unless you're just straight up hacking their botnet or hacking their, their, their CNC, um, which is totally a possibility and, you know, um, has happened in some situations uh, for the common, you know, response, it doesn't work. You know, fighting back doesn't work. So the best thing to do is just batten down the hatches and, and do what you can you know, keep your communication lines open, be able to talk to your ISP, be able to talk to your data center, be able to talk to your other services, be able to talk to your customers. And, you know, at some point, the, the, the things turn, you know, um, it, either you get your service tight enough where you can withstand the attack and still be up, or the attackers just get bored and go away. Don't shoot the hurricane. <laughs> Always shoot the hurricane with cows. It's like <laughs> pissing in the wind. It... <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hey, we, we had a couple of um, Twitch chat questions that I kind of wanted to go over real quick too. Um, two from Black Owl. One of them is, are slow Loris, they're kind of the same, um, are slow Loris attacks still a thing? And have you seen server-side vulns being leveraged to DOS real servers, like uploading you know, images with large dimensions to consume memory or anything with uh, low traffic volume but high impact? Yeah, definitely. The, the service exhaustion, which I kind of refer to as sort of attacking the database, mm -hmm. um, you know, it is sort of the same thing. It's just uh, requesting really, really large images so that their their cache just sort of fills up with all of that stuff, and then everything's really slow. Um, you know, you're and, and and I saw some great talks by the guys at Netflix with their Chaos Monkey. Have you uh, tried turning it off and on? <laughs> oh man! Oh, it's back on. Stream. Yep, looks good to me. Oh, yeah. back. And then is interpreter back? Yeah, my interpreter is back. We're live. Uh, I wasn't allowed to get well, on the computer yeah. either. Well, see, <laughs> as we said, DDoS is like a storm, and we just had to wait it out, and now we're back. <laughs> Stay calm. <laughs> so uh, the question that we were on right before we, we left was uh, Slow Lars, and uh, I think it was around the part where you mentioned why Slow Lars was good. Yeah, is just recap it real quick, probably. Okay, yeah, I'll try. Uh, Slowlurus was good because it analyzed its target and sort of set its attack uh, speed at, at varying levels. So it made a really good. Uh, uh, it made a, a a really good example, and not a lot of the attack tools got as uh, sophisticated as that, because you're sort of slammed away at whatever the vulnerability was um, without really caring to, to try to analyze or anything like that. Cool. And then uh, the next thing that, that came up while we were down as well was uh, someone had mentioned that the Jester uh, had redirected DDoS traffic uh, by redirecting his domain, uh, is, was the guess. Um, is someone being prosecuted for that, apparently? Um, I just remember sometime back in, in, um, 
was it 2008 or somebody like that and it may have it i wouldn't say the name but i think it was another hacker who was continually getting attacked and was redirecting it against his his uh his enemies and um people started to like press charges or there was there was something about that because it was one thing to to get attacked but it was another thing to actively direct it to someone else which was you know just again misuse the the common thing at the time people when they got attacked if they could not do anything else then they would re just redirect the a record back to 127.0.0.1 that way at least the attack didn't go anywhere off of that local network of the attacking uh, server that's so crazy i never i never heard the story though that that somebody got in trouble for uh for redirecting to other targets that's amazing not cool i i'm still not sure which uh which denial of service attacks use the a records in the attack um typically like especially like uh distributed reflective attacks you just type in the ip that you're targeting and it spoofs that ip doesn't it or was it some other type of attack that actually uses the a record well like a lot of the tools may take an ip address or they take a domain name and what i sort of came to a conclusion of, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I sort of think of that the attacker is not the guy who wrote the tool for the most part. Fair enough, true. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, so that they don't know what that, you know, that there's only five user agents that it rotates through. They think it's cool, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll rotate through this, you know? Whereas, you know, you could have a hundred you know, if you wrote it yourself or something. So it's, it, it's sort of, you know, but even if you wrote at, at that level, then at some point, I just take all of those as part of the signature and I just have even more data to profile you now. That's amazing. So generally speaking, it's likely just due to unfamiliarity of, of basic networking in a way. Uh, with some of these attackers that are using tools that they're not very familiar with. Um, yeah, they, uh, you know, in the essence, uh, kind of are, are in a lot of cases, um, script kiddies yeah. that, yeah. you know, uh, are teenagers. And this is one of the things about my, my talk about it sort of being the idea of a hurricane versus uh, a military war mindset. You know, if you're, do you want to go to war with script kiddies? You know, what's your war mindset for a 14 year old? Because that's probably who's attacking you. Right. Time out. No Xbox for a week. Spoofa called his mom's <laughs> cell phone from his high school, say so he got caught smoking a J behind the dumpster. <laughs> well, it, it quite literally does come down to no Xbox for a week, though, <laughs> because. Fucking lizard squad decides no Xbox for a week. But but you know it it it's uh, a lot of the times 
people that are running scripts or they find exploits um, and and even the the thing they exploited or the botnet that they exploited, they don't really see what what it looks like when they attack. Um, you know, I, I I was talking to a friend of mine and 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 he was like, you know, we used to find other network providers who had network graphs like live graphs and we would attack them just to see how much power we had as a botnet oh right yeah the ever ever popular d stats right <laughs> yeah because you know they they you run the exploit and you don't know really what you're exploiting you you just have an idea you don't know uh the, really the disbursement of the ip addresses usually um so um so i i just don't think that there's there is a lot of accidental success in ddos uh because not only can you you know be more powerful than you really think you are but you can also panic the other person into you know oh my god this is going to happen every day for the rest of my life sort of deal when you know th that's not <laughs> that's not true that you know this is not you know, un, uh, unmitigatable. Um, you're, if you're attacked, you're probably not the first person to be attacked. You know, yeah. there, there is a process that your ISP has, your service provider, something has um, to, to deal with what's going on. So, so my number one rule is always straight up, don't panic. Right, right. Hey, what do you think is going to happen with the web structure? Uh... Now that webstarcher.org got seized, and I think the NCA and FBI said they're going after everybody that had a subscription. I don't know about it. Oh, yeah. So uh, recently they announced uh, that, yeah, everybody who subscribed to uh, one of the bigger stressors out there uh, is in for a visit relatively soon <laughs> and i think it's a i don't know if somebody correct me if i'm wrong it, it's probably a couple hundred thousand users at this point right well uh yeah i i don't know about that story but i've heard that story you know a lot of times of, of botnets disguised as stressors or one way or the other which is 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 almost always you know stressors which are actions and people trying to monetize them so um why people would subscribe to them like you guys earlier were talking about you know sending your address to, to a hacker guy <laughs> and to send you a sysp certification um i don't know that's it, it it just seems sort of the you know like what someone would do if they were 14 years old yeah so in the case of uh in the case of like I, I've written an application and application is deployed and uh, it's in a dev environment, it's set up how I expect it, and I actually want to um, I want to I want to test my uh, limits without being a, a dick to my provider. Uh, is there anything that you can say you know is a is a legitimate form of I, ha I actually hate the term stressing, but stressing without you know being a ridiculous skid monetized botnet well um if it's your uh endpoints and your links then you know it, it's not a problem 
uh, so long as you're going, you know, through whatever limits or the capacity of the networks that you've got to go through. So it's really hard to, you know, if you want to do like one gig tests, you know, those are pretty common now from, from companies that want to validate things. And, um, but, um, you know, um, I don't know if that's answering your question, but. Yeah, no, that's fine. It's just, it's just like, uh, there's, there's times where, like you mentioned doing walkthroughs before, and um, there's obviously a lot of service, uh, services out there that, that claim to be stressors and testers and stuff like that. And uh, telling apart, obviously, the, the, the DDoS kitty ones versus the ones that look like they actually have thought of a business model um, seems to be fairly easy, but still running a stressor against your own service is, is throwing data at it. So it's just, yeah. So if it's your own links and you, you're within uh, you know, a relatively, I guess, um, same amount of data that you're throwing at it and you're not damaging services on the same rack as you. I mean, what, what would happen if you sent yourself an ISO file via UDP? Yep, that's actually what I was going to follow up with is, uh, you know, we, you can say, well, yeah, as long as you're not damaging anything, but how do you know anything's going to be 100% uh, safe? So I I don't know about that. I, I Again, like you said, what happens if you send an ISO to yourself over UDP? that could take an entire link down who knows uh or it could be perfectly fine and just uh simulate a ddos attack um I don't yeah know. the the my 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 uh, concept of it there was you know if i i paid for a server and i paid for a link on that server you know there's probably some limit to that link whether it's a meg or you know a gig or 10 gigs yeah. um so if I were going to stress myself, I would try to stay within the the limits of that stress, um, just because I know what those limits are. Um, when you start to deploy a botnet that is randomly infecting random things, then you know, and then you direct all of that power back to one central point. Um, you know, you're you're not just stressing a known system for the purpose of testing. You know, you're you're just abusing the network. It does bring up the age-old question, and you and I have have had this discussion quite a few times over the years. The the opt-in botnet. I really want to do it. <laughs> I want to I want to create this mystical opt-in botnet. Where you know you're joining a botnet, you're, uh, it's all very clear. You're I actually think uh, educational purposes. Exactly. So like <laughs> Facebook, uh, basically. It's called DDoS well, Line, and uh, it's available. Now. Yeah, well, I can make it an emoji DDoS cam. Wait, what? What's it? <laughs> okay. Like from the news article, is the first thing that you know the the emoji cams that have all the malware in them. Um, and like, if you just straight up told people this is malware and it still made you a cute panda, you know, people would still install. Yeah, I really think they would. It sounded like uh, DNZ. Did you say there's actually one that exists though? Well, we we covered this a long time ago on like, like sometime last year, and there was a, a 
proof of work DDoS coin where it used uh, TLS connections uh, to verify the proof of work. And by participating in the DDoS in, in a denial of service, you received tokens which you could spend probably on other ridiculous skid shit. But somebody put enough thought into it to, to produce that. Wow. I actually don't recall that. That's uh, kind of interesting. It seems like a lot of conspiracy charges, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, if you could spend the coin, like, if you could spend the coin, the token, if you could spend the token on selecting where the network is pointed, it's like, oh, if I participate in DDoS, I get to DDoS, like, <laughs> Xbox. I my neighbor. More crimes. And... Yeah, let's, and it's on an immutable blockchain of my crimes. Yeah, it's like a... <laughs> It's an echo chamber of more jail time each time you use it. <laughs> My lawyer can't say shit about it because it's uh, it's cryptographically verified. <laughs> Military grade encryption too. <laughs> um, oh, we got one more, uh, a couple more questions real quick from the chat. Um, one of them is from Femto Duino, who says, um, "Hi, Power Cycle. IoT devices are frequently resource limited." small flash what kind of things should a firmware slash hardware engineer try to implement when making internet connected devices for example microchip has the lw mesh stack examples with aes um, encrypted comms but that's it um i guess he's talking mainly about like for people who are making IoT devices what are the sort of things that they should look out for for um i guess designing it to make it not be abusable at a botnet <laughs> Probably the biggest thing would auto-update because once IoT devices get deployed, people just forget about them. So that would be like the number one thing. So like if it, whenever it was powered off and it just came back online, just really securely check if you can update because that's a lot of, of what, what happens is people with, with Mariah and stuff would get infected. They'd have a problem with it. They would power it off. They would reset the machine. It would work again. And then it would get scanned and it would have the default password and it would get hacked again. And now you're, you're back to the same problem. So unless it gets updated, you know, you're, you're never really going to solve it. Yeah. I mean, even like, even like the, the malware, even the horrible, horrible shit tier malware still has an update feature in some of the in most cases to be able to connect back to a CNC somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the, taking that design principle is definitely a huge thing. Yeah. yeah. I think also, you're looking if you are designing IoT um, and you're looking at what sort of uh, encrypted comms and stuff like that probably doesn't matter. Um, AES one twenty eight with CBC from some random Arduino library is probably not um, you know it, it's not going to be your military grade encryption that you require. With some of the research I did of the the devices, yeah, there were cases where the hardware manufacturer left back doors in the, the the system to which the software developers were never even you know could have fixed themselves so uh, a lot of it comes comes down to not even trusting what you're given and and really trying to you know uh, turn the security back on itself and and assume that okay that that could be a problem you know maybe set up you know firewalls particularly internally to make sure that that extra hop sort of things don't happen to a known vulnerable port that that you just can't get rid of maybe 
Yeah, I think with IoT, small flash stuff as well, like if you're doing any kind of uh, encryption, like that's where it leads into the resource generation DOS you were talking about before, like DOSing uh, an embedded device that's trying to do cryptographic functions without any sort of hardware support at all. It's it's going to eat those minute resources it has anyway. Um, so if you like continually are trying to handshake against it, it's continually trying, you know, it's wasting cycles on that it doesn't really have to spare. So I guess it's it's all about that threat model and and <laughs> what attack what attack vectors you expect and doing that walkthrough like you said. Yeah, just always assume that your first answer is going to fail. You know, um, no, no plan of battle ever survived contact with the enemy. So you know, just assume that the right people are not going to be available. Assume that your newest engineer is going to be the guy on shift. Um, you know, assume that the the attack is larger than you know local things, and you have to reach outside your company. You know, you have to reach out outside your comfort zone and say, "Who would I reach to?" Um, the last question that we have on here, um, real quick, is how many DDoS attacks were successful due to the mitigation service provider's failure and not directly due to the attack? Um, well, it, it, it would totally happen. Like you've got, you've got a network. Uh, you are a network provider just as if you're an ISP. You're just more of a virtual uh, ISP. But, um, you know, there were always... You know, times where people would fat finger uh, a backbone uh, and, and something would go down. Um, you know, or or there would be a firmware bug that, you know, even just normal load, but left to its own devices for, you know, so many months would crash itself. Um, and, and, you know, as, as I said, we... I was always on the constant edge of changing things sort of to keep up with the, the maximum throughput of whatever we were dealing with. So um, it became common to me to accept, accept, expect that things would fail and to always go back and, and look every single time, every single data center, as many links as I could constantly just to know the network and know the traffic. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, oh yeah, well, thanks um, very much for for coming on and and talking to us about all this stuff. Um, it's been really awesome to chat with you and get your insight on a lot of things. Cool. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah! And um, thanks everybody for listening and and sticking in through even though we went offline for a little bit. We'll definitely figure out what happened there, um, but. Yeah, thanks everybody for, for hanging out and chatting with us. Um, I wanted to give another shout out, or special shout out to our Patreon people. Um, Dusty Fresh, Sterling Archer, No Cookies, Big Hacks, <laughs> doing big things over there. Hamburger Keyboard, Walski, Woodsman, Matt H, Talon, James, Rain, Mayur, Ire, Who, Zors, Brian L, Gabe, uh, 688AS, Delesh, DVD Freytag, and Rufflewitz. Thanks, everybody. You've made our. Uh, I want to know. Good. Would we uh would we be violating copyright if we made some Adidas uh 
<laughs> some Adidas tracksuits in uh, true Russian Slavic <laughs> style. I well, think. Well, yeah. So I don't kind of industrial. Hey, real quick, uh, Parsec, I think you had uh, two things. Um, I knew you had your VPN uh, thing. If you wanted to plug that real quick before we bust. Oh, yeah. Um, sure, yeah. I also run a, a service called Cloak VPN, and um, it's kind of cool because I accept Monero and sort of set up the payments through the Monero blockchain. Um, but if anybody you know needs a VPN service, go check it out, cloakvpn.com. And if you're worried about logging, you could actually ask him directly about the logging. And there's the... Yeah, I don't, I don't log anything. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, dude. Thank you. Hell yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. Did all our shoutouts. Um, we'll be back next week. So we will see you soon. Um, hold on, let me try to get this music back up. Hopefully it doesn't explode again. And... Boom. All right. We'll see you guys. Oh, yeah, Bye. <laughs> <laughs>